If only creativity had a Konami code. Welcome to the Church Mag Podcast. Does having professional tools lead to professional results? Five questions with Chip Dizard and top posts from around the web. So, guys, many years ago, I was volunteer at the church helping out with some tech stuff, and it was time to redo the church website. Dun, dun, dun. And I have to admit, this was back in the day when I was using Macromedia Studio with Fireworks and Dreamweaver and all that retro junk. Is Internet Explorer 6 still popular? Probably. I still use it. What are you talking about, Jeremy? It's a great browser. Okay, Phil, you're lying. Phil, stop lying on the podcast of Trude, especially while I'm trying to tell a story. You know, we let you tell stories, Phil. I'm sorry. Okay, we let you tell. Do we interrupt with? No, we don't. Okay, so we were doing this, and the concept was said that if we used professional tools like Macromedia Studio 8, that then we would have a professional website. And I thought, wow, that is so not true. Just because you have Adobe, just because you have the latest video editing software, just because you have top-notch professional software and hardware doesn't mean that you are going to have professional results. Don't you agree, Phil? Oh, completely. Absolutely. Which is, I know that's, I totally leading you. Don't you agree with me, Phil? No, no, I don't, boss. I don't agree with you at all. And then all of a sudden my voice gets cut off the recording. Uh, no, I completely agree. Um, well, classic example. First of all, I have a number of pro apps for design and whatnot. Uh, my work almost never looks pro quality because I am the I'm my idea guy. I will I'll design it out. I'll build it out for you. Somebody else who's better who can take it then and make it look better. Um, but just because you have the pro tool does not mean you're going to be the pro quality uh, you know designer creator or whatever. I could buy a race car, not not literally on the money, but I could buy a race car. It won't make me a race car driver. I can have the fastest car on the on the market, and I will still one not be brave enough to go do as fast as the car can go, but I'll still be more likely to wreck it than a pro driver. It having the tool does not necessarily give you the skill. It's not some sort of magical process where if you download Creative Cloud or you get uh, Final Cut Pro, it doesn't make you. That, that designer, that, that skill level, it means you have that right tool. The skill will come over time. Jeremy, if you upgrade your Buffer app to awesome at $10 a month, will that make you a social media specialist? <laughs> no, it does not. There goes my plan. <laughs> I got a friend, and uh, I love this guy, but uh, he worked for an organization, and uh, as part of being with that organization, he got some uh, some pro design tools. Um, when he left, he he kept the, t- the software. They didn't ask him to uninstall it, so he kept it. And uh, on his resume, he put that he knew how to use the software. And I, I knew from a personal fact that that wasn't true because he had just downloaded it, and he had never actually produced a single thing with that software. And I felt like – I don't, I don't want to say it was, it was intentional dishonesty. I like to assume it was ignorance. It's like, oh, I've got it. It can't be hard to use. But there's a massive learning curve of the software, not just a learning curve to be good. It's a learning curve to be ele- to elemental in some of the software. Just, just basic processes require a lot of training and experience. And to be awesome at them takes years of practice. And I feel like certain people expect to be doing amazing things in 30 seconds and just 
just not possible. I think before you jump in, Jeremy, with your soapbox or your pushback, whatever thing you're going to throw down, that Phil tiptoed around specifics magically. Wasn't that amazing? You know what, what it was, guys? It was talking talking it out with you guys first and getting all the rage out. Because mm-hmm. we talk. Talk it out. Because that's what DC Talk is all about. Don't mention DC Talk, because I will start. I'll start rapping. Don't don't even go there. No, Phil. I did not mention DC Talk. I don't think you did. Okay, good. So, I, as much as I agree with you, Phil, and I think that if you have something on your resume and you have no idea about it, that does not make you an expert by any means The program itself does not make you an expert without having the program to play with, to dabble with, and to understand. If you don't have the professional tools that are expected from the industry, how in the world can you actually be an expert? And and I ask this because without Photoshop, I would never know how to do graphic design. And just because I had it did not make me an expert, but the fact that I sit there and played with it and looked at tutorials, did the YouTube creative aspect of trying to figure out how to use that well steal other people's photoshop files and try to figure out how they made them for me that's how i learned that stuff so how would you say going about that best to be able to use the tools to be professional but not saying you're professional until you know how to use the tools i see it kind of a dichotomy here no that's that's you're right i mean that's that's how i've done it it's how i'm doing it still uh i took a class in high school my high school was awesome for like a solid year they offered a a class on on digital media so we learned learned powerpoint wah wah but we also learned uh photoshop it was an awesome class and i learned, I learned photoshop basics in there on like, on like photoshop five i think it was maybe six and uh at my my job in college we had to copy a photoshop seven and so I, I learned more on that and kept doing it. And I'm not against having the pro tools. I'm against the expectation that pro tools will make you pro instantaneously. You've got to practice. And I think that, that there's a great uh, democratization of pro tools because it's coming out slowly. Um, in my world, the Apple App Store is doing a lot of this by offering incredible, incredible quality apps at, at cheaper prices. Uh, I'm sure that Google is doing similar things or, or will be soon. But uh, my wife is a is a semi-professional photographer and she has downloaded different photo um, development apps that are as good as Photoshop, but a fraction of the price. And I'm using Pixelmator now a lot more on my laptop. Incredible program, not quite as powerful as, as uh, Adobe Photoshop, but definitely uh, a, a lower learning curve and still very powerful. And I think that it's, it's doing two things. It's lowering your expectation of what tools you can actually get. Most churches spend so much money um, on expensive software, expensive hardware. I think I made a comment before about um, some youth pastors who had MacBook Pros, like top-of-the-line MacBook Pros, and all they used was Facebook and, and Microsoft Word. It's like that's a total waste of, a, of, a, of technology to, to do such simple tasks on, on an elegant machine. And I think that Expecting to have the best, the most amazing tool when you're at the most basic skill level is a, is a bit uh, is a bit foolish. Start smaller, get a great tool, a great software, a great bit of hardware, but one that's probably not the leading edge, but maybe a notch or two below, because the learning curve probably will be a little bit lower as well, and you can step your way up through those those processes. Yeah, I think there are some fundamentals in design or whatever you may be doing. There are some fundamentals that can be achieved with your more affordable programs. I've had similar. Experience with Pixelmator for a lot of the stuff that I do, even some of the graphics we do for Church Mag, they just need to be done quickly. 
you know, don't want to spend a lot of time working on it. You know, it's the perfect program for it. And you can work on those core concepts of design. You can kind of work with it. Like you said, work your way up. And I think that that might be a little bit more of a new phenomenon with the lower priced apps. And churches should definitely take advantage of that. But I think the real, you know, bottom line before this is a bunch of much ado about nothing podcast and how this can be applied is that eliminating the expectation that you will have professional results with professional tools is really key and important and understanding that there's a learning curve and there's it, it takes more than just the app it's more than just the tool it's the craftsman that makes a lot of the difference that being said the value of having the right tools is huge so it's not really a yes or no answer here but really just a holistic understanding of professional tools and their place in church tech yeah and i think that if we go back to your original example eric of websites for me the professional tool that i spend 90 percent of my website creating life in is a text editor and that's all i use and so then i copy and paste the html code in, and whenever i do programming in css or C++ or Java or all these different things, whatever it is, whether it's creativity or functionality, I'm actually spending most of my time in a text editor as opposed to some kind of big fancy application like you might for video editing. So that maybe that's a whole different side of it is if you can read the code, I would probably call you a professional. If you can use Dreamweaver, I would probably sit here an amateur. Don't underestimate the power of a professional tool, but don't overestimate the professional results from a professional tool. Our five questions are with ChurchMag author Chip Dizard. He is a media teacher, media professional, and church tech guru. He can be found blogging at chipdizard.com or training at webvideochefs.com. And you'll find him answering and posting relevant tech tweets at Chip Dizard on Twitter. Just cold questions, right? Yeah, man. This is this is real life, Chip. Good, good, good. Okay, I'm ready. I'm focused. <laughs> Chip, I, I can actually hear your your palms sweating. Yeah. You sound that nervous. <laughs> Please don't be that nervous. Okay. It's just a podcast. Okay. All right. Here we go. All right, Chip. First question. Name your three most favorite blogs. Three most favorite blogs. Okay. So I have to be I have to be real here. So of course I'm gonna say I love Church Mag, okay? <laughs> I do. I like Church Mag. I read uh Michael Hyatt's blog a lot. I like Michael Hyatt and I like Jeff Goins' blog. I read that a lot. All right, question number two. What do you love more? Editing video or capturing it? Wow. <laughs> capturing is, is, is so nice. It's so 2000 and, and late eight. <laughs> so I love editing it more. Capturing it, you're just sitting there waiting. It's easier. But I must say, editing video is one of my passions. Ah, uh, you love the editing. Because you know so much about the actual filming. I, I wasn't sure. Yeah, I like filming it, but I really, really like editing and putting it together. So Yeah, that's where your creativity can really hit it. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right, question number three. Where do you keep your mobile phone at night? Oh, man, I've heard this other guys answer this question before. <laughs> so, see, when, when I listen to the podcast, i got to answer this right. So, I keep my mobile phone. My wife bought me a little caddy that has a lot of stuff in it, has a, and it's snugly fit in the little caddy with the iPhone and the charger. So, <laughs> right in the caddy by my, on my nightstand. That's awesome. <laughs> 
What's your favorite ice cream? I like really cookies and cream. I would say cookies and cream or anything with any kind of cookie dough in it. So any kind of cookies and cream or cookie dough ice cream. That's got to be the favorite because you just can't have plain vanilla. You have to have something in it. Man, now, now you're making me hungry. <laughs> Man, I haven't thought about cookie dough ice cream in for so long. It's good. Man, you, you know, you know, oh. you're missing out life if you don't eat cookie dough ice cream. It's it's twice the fat, but it's it's a it's a good thing that you need to eat like once every couple months. <laughs> well, look, if you're going to eat ice cream yeah. and you're going to have the fat, yes, you might as well pause for a moment and enjoy it. Yep, you sure should. I mean, if you're that's, gonna go, go all the way. Hey, that's what you got to do, and that's why I like cookies, cookie and cream, or cookie dough. I will say both. Anything with dough or cookies in it, I like. <laughs> All right, Chip. What did you want to grow up and be when you were seven years old? Man, I want. You know this was coming. Man, that's a hard. One. You knew it was <laughs> coming it was too. Coming, man. So, and still, it is hard. <laughs> when I was seven years old. I probably wanted to be. I didn't want to be a tech guy. I'll tell you that much. You know, Chip. The people that were seven years old and dreamt about being a tech guy, mm-hmm. and they're a tech guy today. <laughs> yeah, they're scary. <laughs> That is true. I kind of fell into it. But no, I, I I wanted to be more of like a doctor or something like that. I think every kid wanted to be a doctor. I saw some, you know, role models and things like that growing up. But I, I really, but then I figured out in college that medicine really wasn't a thing for me. <laughs> figured out, you know what, this whole medicine thing. Eh. And like, man, eight years is a really, really long time. So I used to watch a show called The Cosby Show. So I like uh, Dr. Huxtable. So, you know, Bill Cosby. Yeah. Oh, uh, do, do I? Know? Yes, I know. Yes. Okay. Of course. You know. In fact, in fact, our family recently finished watching the entire eight seasons. Oh, gee whiz. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I watched Dr. Huxtable and growing up, I said, you know what? That guy looks like a good guy. He's a doctor. His wife is a lawyer. It's like the perfect family. I was like, man, I want to be that guy. <laughs> <laughs> so I grew up watching that that show, and I think that influenced me. And then I said, "Yeah, you know, I don't have to have all the kids and all the other stuff." But I, I like I like doing tech now, so I'm yeah. just as happy helping people on other fronts. So. And you're a teacher, yes, and a tech teacher. So I just don't teach like ordinary subjects. So I teach a, a, a non-standard subject. So I'm teaching photography. I'm teaching media. I'm teaching gaming, video. So um, I love it. I, I, I think when you do and you teach what you do, it's, it's it's easier because you actually are a practitioner of this. And sometimes you're harder on your students just because you want to push them. But I I wouldn't see myself teaching anything else other than maybe history because my dad is a history buff and uh, a history teacher. But other than history, I really love tech and uh, church tech especially. And I love helping students. And I think that's when, when you're teaching something, you're imparting it, it's your passion, you don't, you don't really work a day in your life because you just you like lo- you like your subject and the kids can tell the kids can tell that you live and breathe this stuff they, they were googling me today in class and they said oh you do this a lot i, said, I sure do <laughs> i know what i'm talking about so I, I don't know everything but i know a little bit about some stuff so what a different world we live in when you talk about your students googling you while in class oh they were they were because they didn't know me so i just met a whole bunch of them today and i'm just saying that they were they were on the scavenger to see you know and they should Hey, if I'm, if I'm in class and somebody's telling me something, I want to Google my professor too or, you know, 
know, just to see. I trust him, but trust, but you verify, you know? <laughs> that's pretty awesome, Chip. And that's why we love when you write for Church Mag, because you have your hands on this tech all the time. I try, man. I try. So it, it, it's, <laughs> it's happening, and, 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 and just trying to spread the gospel, and using tech is awesome. And I'm just glad that we can use it to just get the message out. And that's the main thing. I just really love it. Awesome. All right. You know, you were all worried, and your hands were all sweaty, and you just knocked it out of the park, man. Top posts from around the web. All right, Phil, what do you have for us? Uh, got an article here on uh, Pacific Standard. It's an article called Lifetime of Reading Slows cognitive decline if i don't understand what you just said does that mean i've had a cognitive decline i'm sorry i was a mumbling little bit i had a ton of coffee this morning brother i'm i apologize no i'm pretty sure that you spoke clearly i'm <laughs> fairly certain this has to do with my cognitive abilities <laughs> i've recorded myself talking before to where my wife said what did you say in that i I'm, my response is i have no idea I talk so fast sometimes. I, I apologize. I'm, I'm consciously slung myself down now. So Combine that with your sausage fingers, and it's a deadly combination. Yes. I probably still – I can make myself talk slower if I think about it consciously, but then I end up running out of words. I, like I forget, I'm not thinking ahead of what I'm going to say next, so I get stuck. And in my own – to my own ears, I sound like I've had a TBI, like my brain is somehow not functioning right, which sounds very critical, but – yeah, I'm literally making my words come out much, much slower, and it sounds weird. Anyway, this article talks about um, being mentally active and that, and that uh, reading um, it won't prevent like certain um, you know brain dis- diseases or, or deterioration in certain certain aspects, but that um, doing cognitively stimulating um, things over a lifetime can, I'm kind of quoting the article now, uh, might substantially increase efficiency of some cognitive systems. So essentially, being a lifetime reader, um, I'm, I'm assuming probably doing uh, brain puzzles as well, uh, slow down your, you know, cognitive decay, which I think everyone's always assumed that, but I think it's important to be reminded of that in a, in a, in a big way, that um, reading is important. It's, it's about keeping yourself mentally healthy, and I feel like uh, I, I worry sometimes, probably needlessly, that uh, over time, uh, reading, not just reading for information, but reading for pleasure, reading for fun, uh, reading reading deep works is going to fall by the wayside. And while I love blogging and I love blog posts and I love reading blogs, there are times when a weightier reading has to occur. Um, and I feel like that we're losing that more and more. People are reading lighter things, and it's they're skimming more than they're reading. And that's, I think it's dangerous. And we could see a generation of people who, as they get older, they decline quicker because their brains aren't being exercised. Well, and I would be interested to read the article and hear what it has to say as far as technology within books because I don't read as much anymore because I don't have the time. But I have developed a healthy um, appreciation and digest of audiobooks. And so I wonder what the cognitive approach and the cognitive results would be for audiobooks. Is it is the effect the same, or does it require us to use our eyes to see the words to then process and imagine something as opposed to hearing it? I don't I don't see it mentioned in here at all, Jeremy. But that's a very interesting topic. I think it's easy to get this whole old tech new tech debate going on again. This happens. You know, as time passes, the old tech, new tech clash. I mean, let's not forget that books, 
that reading is an activity of technology. I mean, can you imagine, you know, there's been a decline in cognitive abilities as people are not retelling stories like they once did, but reading them silently to themselves. More on this at 11. And I think the debate isn't necessarily the medium as opposed to the amount of conversation, the content you're talking about, Phil. So it's the Google Plus post that's four paragraphs long if Dustin Stout is writing it, or it's a tweet that's barely 140 characters if you use every single character you can. So it's probably that's probably more the argument than anything. But even still, just to be able to sit there and to go from words on a page that someone intended to something that's real life, and I know that that was a huge hit with the Harry Potter series and with the, the Hunger Games series, is people just have these expectations And so whenever you put it up on a video form, it's like, no, that's not what I imagined it. And so they have this investment and this long-term approach that probably stimulates this cognitive approach. So I guess we conclude that YouTube will rot your brain. (laughs) Sure. So I came across this new website called Pro Church Tools with this awesome guy, Brady, I got to meet. And he is trying to figure out how to do church media really well. And he has a heart for being able to educate people that don't have the knowledge but want to do something great. And as I was perusing his website, I came across this post called 188 fonts that your church needs. I don't know the exact title of it. The ultimate list of 188 church free church fonts, 188 free fonts that he has found online. I try to make a post with five fonts and it takes me about 40 minutes. And I had to ask how long did it take you to put this post together? He said it took him 40 plus hours. I've never spent 40 plus hours, even on the top, 30 church man podcast or church tech websites. So it was just kind of amazing that he had this huge list of free resources available to churches all over, however they wanted. It's beautifully set up. You get a preview of the image. He has the link there. He describes how you could use it. It's an awesome resource. Is, is Papyrus one of the fonts? Thank goodness, no. All right, my top post from around the web, the post I'd like to share. It's an oldie but a goodie written by Phil Cook. It's titled, God Told Me To, isn't always the best answer. And that that is an answer, that is something that people oftentimes say when they're diving into a project, whether it be you know a video production or a website or a blog or whatever it may be. The, you know, they come at it with, you have to read this, we have to do this, you know, God told me to. And the problem with that, you can't argue against it, and that's why people use that. I mean, if you come to me and you say, Eric, I have this blog post. It's amazing. God told me to write it. Like, what's what's my comeback going to be? You know, God didn't tell you. And so that kind of mentality, if, if that's what you're thinking when you, when you have a creative idea or anything else God told me to, you need to look a little closer because if God told you to do something and you should be able to withstand the criticism. Let's just say that if we do something in God's name, let's make sure that we are doing something truly in God's name. Otherwise... Have mercy on your soul. And I mean that honestly, 100% honestly, because I've had too many times where someone is saying, we need to use this church budget for something other than technology, and I feel God is leading me to use this thing. And it's going to change the church, it's going to impact this community, and it's going to do something awesome. Let's make a donut ministry. And I'm like, oh, let's not talk anymore. (laughs) It's just one of those things you have to be honest with yourself. Yeah. Putting any idea out there is going to, you're going to get some criticism, some, some response. If it's an, it's a, if it's a God idea, God gave you the idea, God gave you the vision. 
then you shouldn't take the, that criticism personally at all. If I have an idea and someone tells me it's terrible, it might hurt my feelings. It might be a terrible idea, but it's going to hurt because it's my idea. But if I'm claiming that God gave me the idea and someone says it's a terrible idea, and you take it personally, that might be a might be a subtle, subtle clue. It's not God's idea. It's actually yours. Yeah, and just because it's a good idea doesn't necessarily mean it's a God idea. And so there, there's a little give and take on this. I think Christians blame the devil for all kinds of bad things like uh, that happened to them, and they blame God for all kinds of terrible ideas. <laughs> like, uh, God wants us to buy more flannel boards, you know? And God's like, oh, I didn't say that, <laughs> you know? And I, I think that we... We have an idea, and it comes to us quickly, and we, don't, we can't quite trace our thoughts or where the idea came from, so it must be it came right from heaven because that thought came to me so quickly. Um, and maybe it did, but I think most times it, it didn't. Your impersonation of God made me imagine him with a double chin. So thank you for that. Well, I was leaning down, so I, I had a double chin in that moment. Right there, so. <laughs> as long as he's not wearing a Mario hat, we'll be okay. <laughs> it's a me, the Messiah. Do a podcast, they said. <laughs> It would be fun, they said. All right. I, should we do this again, or should we call it quits? Yeah, we have to. God told us to. That was the biggest pregnant pause we've ever had on this podcast. No, it was more than a pregnancy. <laughs> we had twins. I thought that you had something amazing to say. Phil and I have never really had anything that you would deem amazing to say. No. This is a Judgment Production.